Well, welcome back. Uh, we are going to be back in the book of Judges this morning, uh, looking at Christianity 101, uh, learning to walk by faith with the Lord, and uh, really looking at a study of Israel and hopefully learning from their mistakes uh, rather than having to learn from our own. Uh, as I did say, we are in the Memorial Day holiday, so uh, we want to thank those who serve. We want to remember those who sacrificed for us. Uh, ultimately, uh, the one who sacrificed the most, most is Jesus Christ. And uh, those that served in our military and sacrificed for this country sacrificed so that we could do exactly what we're doing today so that we have the freedom uh, to have services, to believe what we want to believe, and um, we don't have to uh, worry about anybody busting down the door and, and uh, killing us, um, quite honestly. So uh, we're very thankful for that, um, and by in order to honor that, I want to just continue with what we're doing. So Judges chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse number 19. And uh, this is kind of a little bit longer passage, um, but it all ties in together, and uh, it's, it's really important because we're, we've seen Israel starting to slide away. We've seen them uh, having a lack of faith and, and not uh, able to take up what God had or to, to do what God wants them to do on their own. Then we've seen them starting to desire uh, things of the world rather than things of God to, to be not content with the things that God has given them. And... Uh, They've just, it's been a steady slide. So uh, today we're going to see them slide a little more. Uh, verse number 19 of Judges chapter 1 says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drave out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites, that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. And the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to descry Bethel. Now the name of the city before was Luz. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city, and they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we will show thee mercy." And when he showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all his family. And the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city, and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and her towns, nor Tanak and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Ibleam and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Verse number 29, Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahalal, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Achab, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Aleb, nor of Axib, nor of Helba, nor of Aphek, nor of Rehob. But the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, 
the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but he dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Beth Anath, or Beth Anath became tributaries unto them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley. But the Amorites would dwell in Mount Heres, in Ajalon, and in Shelbim. Yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed, so that they became tributaries. And the coast of the Amorites was from the going up to Akribim, from the rock and upward. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this glorious day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your truth. Lord, to see the history of your people, to see their successes and their faults and their failures. God, as your children, those of us that are saved, I pray that we would learn from these this history, Lord, that we would learn uh, in our own lives and enact things in our own lives to keep us from following in the footsteps of Israel. So God, please guide and direct today. Lord, take your word and plant it deep in our hearts that it may grow and mold us and shape us into the men and women that you would have us to be. Lord, please work in us today. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. The first thing we see, we talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, We ended in verse number 20 last week. But we see that Judah again goes and, and he is fighting. Uh, and he, but he's able to drive out the inhabitants of the mountain, but he's not able to drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. And I ask you, is it because he couldn't or because he wouldn't? You see, in Exodus 14, verses 23 through 28, we see that God is able to do anything. This is not the first time that God has uh, dealt with chariots. So Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 23 says, And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea. Now this is Moses is brought the children of Israel out and he's led them to the Red Sea and God has done that amazing work of parting the Red Sea and Israel went through on dry ground and now the Egyptians are following. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. Verse number 26, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. 
God controls everything. He created everything. He is not weak. He has no problem removing the chariots of iron that Judah uh, couldn't remove. The problem is Judah, instead of seeking God and God's help, is now beginning to rely on themselves. They, they've had little faith and they took Simeon with them and, and now they've just failed. God is not weak. God is our power. Now, and God's power is our power. Now, there's an interesting thing here, and this is a rabbit trail. I'll try and catch the rabbit really quick. But many will say that Moses didn't take Israel to the Red Sea. He took them to the Reed Sea. And they crossed the Reed Sea, which is only a couple of inches deep. Now, if that were true, that just makes this account even more amazing. Because if Pharaoh and his army drown in a couple of inches of water, his entire army, that's just... That's even more of a miracle. But the doubters constantly will go and try and twist God's word, and, and yet they make him even more a, a holy and powerful God than we could ever imagine. But we need to understand that God's power is our power. Philippians 4... This should be a, a fairly familiar passage or a very, fairly familiar verse for most of us. Uh, if I can get there. First and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Come on. Philippians. Four and verse number 13 it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. John 14, 12. We're in the book of John on Sunday nights. So we haven't gotten to chapter 14 yet, but we'll get there in about a year. John 14 and verse number 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. If we believe in Christ, if we have the faith that he asks us to have, he says we will do greater works than he. Well, God and Christ are the same. So God divided the Red Sea. God destroyed Pharaoh's army. If we have faith in God, we will do greater works than these. Now, we understand that in this valley there's probably not enough water for God to drown the entire army. But we also don't see anywhere where Judah sought the Lord's help in driving them out. And as we continue on, we see that this is a consistent backsliding. We, we go down to verse number 21 and we begin to see Benjamin. So far we've focused on Judah and Simeon and now Benjamin, the youngest of Israel's children... The brother of Joseph, this is the smallest tribe, is now not driving out the Jebusites. Verse number 21, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. It doesn't say that they tried and failed. It says they just did not. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. This is... 
again, partial obedience. We need to understand that partial obedience to God's Word is still complete disobedience. In Deuteronomy 7, and verse number 1, it says, When the Lord God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest, to possess it, and have cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy sons from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. God clearly said, destroy them. Remove them. He clearly named the Jebusites. He named the Hittites, which we're going to see in a couple of verses. He named those people specifically. And yet Benjamin refuses to obey and now has brought them in and they're dwelling among them. That phrase, the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin. Remember that dwell with the children of Benjamin. Because as we're going to see, it doesn't continue to be them dwelling with Israel. That's important. There's a twist at the end, and it's important for us to see that. But when we start to only partially obey, when we start to completely disobey, we, we fall. We fail. We lose the power of God. This is why Judah was not able to drive out uh, the inhabitants of the valley, why he was not able to conquer the chariots of iron is because he had begun to disobey God and begun to try and do things in his own power and now God is just letting him fail. The next thing we see is that we see it here with Benjamin, but we're going to see with almost all of the rest of the tribes that they're going to begin to mix. This was a no-no. This is something that God specifically spoke against. And this is important in our lives. When we straddle the fence, when we don't have set opinions, we're going to fall. And I, I hate doing this, but this is the way I grew up, and this song just makes sense. There's an old country song. It says, if you don't learn to stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Plain and simple. If you don't give yourself a firm foundation in God's word, you're going to fall away to the rest of the world. I, I was having a conversation with one of the neighbors, and uh, he was asking um, a little bit about the church. They go to the Lutheran Church in Ames. They're very active there, and I've tried to get him to come visit, and but he's curious. He's, they donated uh, paint for Goliath, and he's curious about what's going on here. So pray for them. They live across the street. But um, 
he was asking about our church as I was out working on the sign. He said, oh, it's Indian Creek Baptist Church. He said, isn't that going to interfere or, uh, or uh, compete against the other Baptist church in town? I said, there isn't another Baptist church in town. There's a non-denominational church that is in town, but they, they, they're not, they have similar doctrine. They, they are Baptistic in their doctrine, but they are not firm in their foundation. Israel is now, instead of separating themselves unto God, and this, this idea of separation is not that like, for example, if you look out back, we have visitors now. We have uh, a couple of horses in the back pasture. We got home Friday, and uh, they were there. And Rachel went back to take a look as I was getting some stuff out of the car. I came in the house to do something, and she called me, and she said, Honey, the horse is stuck in the fence. So I ran out there, get to looking, and, and he's not stuck in the fence he stuck his head through the fence trying to get to the grass out here which the grass in the pasture is this tall so i don't know why he's but anyway he was half in and half out he was clear up to his front legs past his withers and every time he would move the, the top rail of the fence would move and there's a post that's broken off and it would sway back and forth but when she looked at the horse, she saw that this horse was half where he was supposed to be and half where he wasn't supposed to be, and she thought he was stuck. He was straddling the fence. That fence is there to separate their pasture from our yard. There's a, there's a dividing line. Now, that's not the separation that God has for us. God has us right here in the middle of the world. I'm surrounded by neighbors who are lost and on their way to hell. I am separated unto God. I have the righteousness of Christ on me because I've sought His forgiveness and placed my faith and trust in His death, burial, and resurrection. The gift that He's given me. But I am still in this world. I am still here I'm not to act like the world. I'm not to, to follow the laws of the world, not the laws, but to follow the, the whims of the world. I'm to follow God, but I'm here. I'm separated unto God to be a light and a witness for God in this area. That's what Israel was supposed to be. From the very beginning, when, when God called Abraham, he called him out of Ur of the, Chalde the Chaldees, to follow him, to be a witness for him. And they have steadily declined and are still declining today. 2 Corinthians 6. I need to hurry up. 2 Corinthians 6. Verse number 1. Sorry, verse number 14. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse number 14. says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? 
And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We're not to be unequally yoked. Here, Benjamin is allowing the Jebusites to dwell among them. To live among them. And it's unfortunate, but we as a people don't rise to the occasion. We fall to the easy way. And we see, as we continue on through these, that we see monkey see, monkey do. We see that very thing as... Oh, there I got it. I got a smile out of Naomi. We see that we tend to mimic those around us. If we surround ourselves with godly people, we are going to be godly people. If we surround ourselves with ungodly people, we're going to fall backwards. And that, that was, that's one of the things that I struggled with in coming back here is I know how I was around my family when I was growing up. I know how I talked. I know how I walked. I know how I acted. And I don't want to be that guy again. And that's a daily struggle. But Israel here, we see, as we continue on, and we're just going to go through these really quickly, but Manasseh, the Canaanites dwelt among them. Zebulun, the Canaanites dwelt among them. Ephraim, the Canaanites dwelt among them. Then we go down to Asher and Naphtali. Asher now is going to dwell among the Canaanites. Naphtali is going to dwell among the Canaanites. You see the switch? Instead of Israel being the ruling party, now the others are. And then when you continue on, Dan, he just gets forced into the mountain. He has no power at all. He is completely at the will of the Amorites. We don't see Reuben and Gad here because their inheritance was on the other side of Jordan. We see that in Joshua 22. They were supposed to come along and fight with their brethren, the other tribes of Israel, to help them take their land and then return to their own land. But obviously, they're nowhere present here. So they've already gone back to their own land. They left the job unfinished. Issachar is only mentioned twice in the book of Judges. He's mentioned in Judges 5.15 and in Judges 10.1. We have no idea what he's done. When, when we talk about Issachar in the book of Judges, it's only that this man is from the tribe of Issachar. He did not do anything 
worth noting to take the land. And then the last tribe that's even possible is Levi. And Levi, his inheritance was the Lord. His inheritance was the priesthood. I'm sorry, it's not the last one. We've already talked about Judah and Simeon, and they started this whole mess with their lack of faith. But they were not expected to fight. They were expected to serve the rest of Israel to guide and direct them to God. Talk about a snowball effect. All of this starts with one small lack of faith. One small sin. Now this had been going on for years because it happened during Joshua. It happened... uh, when Joshua brought them into the land, they, they took Jericho, and then all of a sudden, um, Ai defeats them because of Achan's sin. That one small step. And then it continues on, and Joshua, uh, he makes a league with those that came from a long way, and you know they, they brought the old wine and the moldy bread and the nasty clothes, and they... they They faked that they had come on a long journey and they were really the neighbors. And they didn't seek the Lord. But here in Judges, Judah sought the Lord, Israel sought the Lord, and God said Judah should go. And Judah said, I'm scared, Simeon, come with me. And then we saw it trickle down into individuals with uh, Aksa, Caleb's daughter, She's not happy with what her father had given her and she desires springs and, and water and she's just not content. And then the whole tribe of Benjamin. And we're going to see the Jebusites, the tribe of Benjamin are going to be a thorn in the flesh of Israel throughout the book. But it starts small and it just continues to roll and to grow and to grow and to grow until... Not long after this, they're crying, crucifying their Messiah. God in human flesh, Israel is crying for his crucifixion because they don't want to listen to God anymore. They want to listen to the religion they've created. Remember, that what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. If we keep our toes in the world and in the sins of the world, our children are going to dive in head first. But that works the other way too. If we continue to serve God with everything we have, our children are going to do that as well. It's not just a, there's a whole lot left over from moderation. It's an exponential relationship. It's a, it's a ratio. So moderation to excess, if we do excess, the children are going to do far more. That ratio doesn't change. I know I'm, I'm speaking to Christians today people who love the Lord, who are here to serve the Lord. But I know that in every one of us, there's something that we're holding back. There's something that 
we're not completely giving to God. There's a little piece of us that lacks the faith that God requires. Otherwise, we would be doing amazing works far greater than anything He could ever do. And this is not a rebuke. This is just a call to action. As the Israelites would, as they began to prepare for the Passover, they would go through, and and this, by the way, is another uh, mixture uh, of why we do what we do on Easter, why we have bunnies that lay eggs and we go search for them. We have the Israelites used to take and hide little pieces of leaven around their house because leaven is a picture of sin. And then they would send their children to go find those pieces of leaven. They would seek everywhere to clear their house of the leaven of the sin of the world so that they could be clean and holy for the Passover. We should, with that same diligence, seek the leaven and sin in our lives and wipe it out. You see, that's, it's not about the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Canaanites... It's not about them as people. It's about their sin and unwillingness to serve God. We're going to see over and over again Gentiles who know the name of God. We're going to look at one in Jonah who know the personal name of God yet refuse to serve Him. They have a head knowledge but not a heart knowledge. Today, Let's make it our goal to let the Lord search us and point out anything in our lives that is against Him so that we can remove it and begin to serve Him.